Welcome to season six of the Life Giver Podcast, a place for honest conversation and hope for your marriage and home. This is your host, Corey Weathers, and I'm a military spouse, clinician, and advocate. And I'm bringing topics that I hear from the service community and counseling room to the podcast. This season, we're talking about what it means to be strong in body, mind, and spirit. And I'm giving you the challenge of rising above your circumstances to become the best version of you. So grab a cup of coffee or head out for that run. We have a lot to talk about. Where are you at now with all of this? What's been going through your mind lately? You know, I taught, you know, we, you and I have taught the check-in. I teach the check-in all the time. You know, what's your, what is your, what's going on in your body? Um, kind of those, those sensory of like, just what's going on in your body. What are your thoughts been lately? What are your emotions? And then what do you need? Hmm. Oh, my body's happy because I had pizza. <laughs> it was good pizza. That was good pizza. That was a start. Um, it was a celebration. It was a celebration of our son who's been through a lot, um, uh, passing German, uh, having to learn it by himself. Whole other podcast episode on military kids, but um, it was a celebration pizza. So where am I? Physically, what's been going on in your body lately? I, I mean, I think you've had a few people that have reached out to you to talk about what's been going on. Um, so what have your thoughts been on a couple things number one i wish i had more time to sit and process i'm way too busy right now mm-hmm. i don't have any time to sit and process and think about it um and you wish you did i would love to i Why? would love well what i'd love to do is go take a road trip with some or get a cabin with some friends from the first deployment mm-hmm. and just kind of huddle and think what would you think about like, let's say there's somebody listening that's like, you know what? That's a really good idea. What would you, what would you think about? Um, I'd, uh, I'd make sure that we talked about all the funny things and laugh about those things. Um, I would say the things to them, uh, how much, how, and we say it all the time when, when I do talk with a few of them, how much we love them, love each other. And we say it, love you, man, miss you, wish that we were stationed in the same place. I wish I had time, you know, I wish, wish, wish. Um, part of that is to go back to places that you want to remind yourself are real because it feels like you actually connect dots inside your body that just kind of float around in there while you're just going about your daily mundane life. Um, Wish there wasn't always the next mission sometimes mm-hmm. that you could pause and reflect. Um, and at the same time, it's also nice to be busy and to get some distance from things and, uh, and to allow distraction to give you joy, like going to Aiden's football game, to allow distraction to just give you joy mm-hmm. uh, in the midst of things that can potentially take that away. Uh, or influence you to not feel joy, rather. Um, I was really hit seeing uh, seeing Luke today. That meant a lot, and I really want to connect with him. But I mean, 
It meant a lot. It meant a lot. Did it ground you? Um, what do you mean? Well, what was, what did it do for you internally? Did it feel like your soul connected? Did it feel like it grounded you? Like all that was real and here's another person like, what was, what was it that it did within you? I could say it's, um, it's like metaphor. The masters of painter, they are prolific. They are just prolific. They are just churning out stuff. You look at what Picasso did and you can't imagine that he would have ever like um, remembered everything that he had done, every painting, every drawing, every sketch. I mean, it's just everywhere. They just couldn't help but do it. They're just churning it out. A lot of it because they didn't have TV. So they had to, <laughs> um, but imagine a moment where um, Picasso is like 80. And uh, a painting that had been very meaningful to him when he was 20-something had been lost. And he'd been painting a lot since then. But this specific painting, like, he had had invested time in. And maybe it was a crucial painting. Maybe it was pivotal. And then between the time, between the amount of painting that had gone on, between other life experiences, he forgot. But imagine, like... He's walking through a city one day and he just looks in a window and there's that painting. And he hasn't seen it since he's been like 20 something. And in the midst of everything, people walking by him on the sidewalk in the midst of whatever the weather feels like in the midst of everything. He's not standing there as an 80 year old man looking at his painting in the window. He's standing there like a 20 something year old and he's reliving every brush stroke and what he was thinking when he was making that painting. And what he was feeling and who he was dating and where he was living. And that painting is not, he's not in the same place in the same town that he did that painting. And not, neither is that painting They're in, They came from who, who knows where they traveled to find themselves there at that moment together in the world. And they're the only two things that ex- exist in his world at that moment. Something like that. Where. It doesn't matter whatever else is going on. And even if you were like, hey, 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 come look at this painting that I did. Come look. I want to come see. Man, I was I was in as much as you want to try and tell somebody. Somebody's going to be like, man, that's wow. What a neat story. That's uh, that's neat. neat. It's real neat. That's really interesting. You know, and then you realize. For those that know, no, no words are necessary for those that don't No words will suffice. And that's the feeling that you have when you go back and you you make contact with your friends from these very significant moments. And I say friends from very significant moments because it's like you and the girls from Colorado. Mm -hmm. You can always go back. You can always go back to those moments, to those friendships and go, what we went through Mm -hmm. was significant Mm -hmm. from the ladies of 361. Mm -hmm. Um, you can almost sit in silence because for, for those of us on, you know, 12 month or longer deployments by month seven or eight, you often just sat around in silence thinking each other's thoughts Mm -hmm. because you were around each other 
24-7 and you were doing life and you knew when somebody had a bad day just by the way they walked. Mm-hmm. And um, you don't get that much anymore, mm-hmm. that level of connection. Um, and it was a beautiful, it still is a beautiful connection for people that you would go way above and beyond. And so while this has been a hard, hard week, I think for a lot of people, hopefully that we've all taken the time to go, you know, in the most horrible of all circumstances, some of the most beautiful things came about mm-hmm. and out of deep struggle. And it's, a, it, it's, it's hard because you're like, I would never want those things to have happened. Mm-hmm. Never. But I don't want to give up what I have with some of these people. And that's a hard feeling to feel. What do you need? You may have answered that already, but. What do I need? What do you need? I mean, especially considering going to a cabin with everybody would be hard to do. Mm -hmm. So what do you need? Whether it's from me, whether it's from other people. I need everybody to pause. We can't right now. But to pause and think about what we've been through as a country and what we've been through as a military. I need everybody to not be so judgmental. Nobody's, most of the people, no, none of the people that are, you know, screaming from the stands were the ones that were sitting in the, in the meetings to make decisions. Mm-hmm. So stop. Mm-hmm. It's easy. It's easy for all of us. Mm-hmm. But you're tearing apart other humans. And of all the things that we need right now, it's, it's humanity. The best of humanity. The absolute best of humanity. But the part of humanity that says I'm human too and I'm going to make mistakes. Because you know what? Nobody is like, you know what? Nobody is. How horrible would it be if you went to your daily grind job knowing that there are a hundred people out there that are just waiting to tell you you did a horrible job and they don't know what you do or how hard you have to do it under which circumstances or conditions you have to do it Mm -hmm. with what you know, with what you don't know. You don't have, you don't, you don't, you don't show up fixing air conditions and a hundred people are like, well, here's how you could have done that better. No, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't know. Just now is not the time. Later is the time. Like General Milley said, later is the time, but now is not the time. The time right now is for good, you know, constructive reaction. Mm-hmm. I appreciated that too. Yeah. I'm saying that. Um, so that's what you need from other people. What do you need from, for you? Is there anything that you're trying to do that you ha- do have control over um, or that re- you want to have I, control I need over? to reach out to friends. Mm-hmm. I need to reach out to friends and um, I need to have some coffee with some friends that are, um, that are on post now. Um, that I've seen former soldiers that are now stationed here mm-hmm. and uh, get together and, and BS with them for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, I need that because that's the only group, honestly, that is probably the only group that I'll ever be allowed to just be like me, not in a role or responsibility. Mm-hmm. Like we could be on a first name basis 
because of because every everything in that deployment had been just stripped away. Mm-hmm. Um, any not 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 like it was you know Lord of the Flies running amok without any sort of hierarchy, but like. Best team I've ever been a part of, mm-hmm. led by the best commander I've ever seen, best officer I've ever known in the military. Um, and and we were, uh, you know, we were um, we were a very close. We were we were brothers, mm-hmm. you know. We did have uh, a, a couple of women, we had uh, three or four that were that were located with us as well, um, and uh, and they were very much a part of the unit. You know, um, I mean, one of them she was phenomenal. Our V, short little mechanic, um, she was awesome. Um, and but it uh, so when I say you know we were brothers, it's not to exclude them at all. But um, we uh, it was a family. It was a family that loved and served each other as a family. Um, Not because we had to or because we were forced to, because we wanted to, because it was built out of love and respect and devotion, just a, just an undying devotion to one another. So a couple more questions and then we'll wrap up. Sure. Okay. Um, so, you know, the whole point of this series was to, to allow processing, you know, I know with Bina's episode, it turns out I was needing to process some things. Um, and I appreciate you being vulnerable and letting me ask questions and, um, let you process some things. You know, I, from a spouse perspective, I listened to you sharing just such sacred spaces for you and I know that this is hitting everybody in different ways. Um, even family members and spouses are, are feeling things too. And so, you know, I, I think, um, you know, when I hear you talking about those sacred spaces, first of all, I respect them now that I, more than I ever have. And so there's every bit of me that's like, yes, please go and do those things. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, because I know that's what you need. And it doesn't mean that you don't feel safe with me or connected with me or anything like that. It's a separate thing. And I don't feel threatened by that at all. But I think that there might be spouses listening that are wondering if maybe that's how their service member feels too. But that's, um, it can, it can be kind of hard to hear, even though it's okay, it can be hard to hear, um, such a strong pull towards a group of people. Um, and, and, and it can be a helpless feeling, I guess it can be a helpless feeling of like, I wish, like, I wish that I could take that pain away. And I wish that I could be that person for you. And that's okay that I'm not, but mm-hmm. it's, it's also like, I think there's spouses that wish that they could do more. I think there are spouses out there that are deeply concerned that their service member might go into a depression or might go into a dark place or might have a lot of feelings about things. And, and they, they feel like, oh man, I thought we were kind of out of that <laughs> and into a healthier place. And this is kind of reopening some wounds and stuff. And, and that can feel scary when you've done a lot of work to get to maybe a healthier place. And then for some of that to resurface. And, and so it's kind of like a bunch of feelings there. Oh. 
So I know that, um, that there's nothing that what you are needing or asking for that, um, pulls away from us or something that, you know, that I'm supposed to be able to fulfill, but what, um, I guess, what is your reaction to that? How, how, is there a way that you could help family members understand that it's not something that has to do with their marriage, maybe necessarily, if they feel that pull towards needing to go and tell those stories and connect to those people in order to, um, to maybe process some of their feelings about it? I would say it's, uh, it's not about you. <laughs> I know that sounds real simple, but it's not. Mm-hmm. So don't internalize it. Don't, don't make it something it isn't. I mean, the easiest way I would say is that I respect that you have sacred spaces too. Mm-hmm. And you've got to respect that for me. And out of that respect comes a, a chemistry of two adults that are trying to bridge those gaps. Mm-hmm. Um, Enmeshment is never good. You don't want to know all the things that the other person is thinking and feeling. I mean, that'd be way overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are times of, of, of going away and doing kind of your own thing in a healthy, you know, way. Not, I'm not talking about separation or running off to Vegas and being stupid, but um, there are times where, you know, that that healthy separation allows you to figure out who you are in the world as an as an independent person as a, as a, as a, as a whole entity right mm-hmm. and allowing yourself to you got to allow yourself to do that be a whole entity and allow the other person to do that too mm-hmm. otherwise you're just two blobs just blobbing all over each other and that's just horribly <laughs> ugly um where you just <laughs> right you know, there's no, it, there's no chemistry there. There's no mystery. There's no, um, and it's, it's also good to be frustrated in that longing. Mm-hmm. We can't always have all longing fulfilled. Anybody that's been deployed <laughs> knows that. Yeah. Um, sometimes longing has to wait and sitting in that longing makes a big difference between two people. Um, so I would say there'd be something wrong if you're looking at your service member um, or your, you know, supporting spouse and they're, you know, whatever it is that they're going through and you're like, well, it seems good. Let me know. Well, and I think going back to your first reaction, which I think is key, is that it's it's not about me. It's about the feelings that you you're having and what you need and, and what's healthy for you in order for you to move forward. Yeah. I mean, that, the worst thing you could ever do is to sit there and go. Well, it says something about me. That's my service member doesn't want anything to do with me. So what's wrong with me? Whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Wait, you don't get to steal the spotlight on this. Yeah. Okay. No, we're not going to start dealing with your stuff now. You know, I'm trying to go back to a very difficult place in my life mm-hmm. and try and make sure it stays in the mailbox that I put it in. Yeah. So it doesn't fall out and I trip on it later on. Well, and, and it's also remembering you know, we all have those sacred spaces. Yes. And so while you are going and tending to yours, it's mm-hmm. important for, um, mm-hmm. for that spouse to go and tend to his or hers. Right. Yeah. And so seeing it as a mutual time of healing. So I appreciate that answer. Yeah. All right. Last question. Yeah. Um, thank you for all of your time. You're welcome. <laughs> um, you've mentioned several times, um, 
the first commander of 361 um, during that first deployment was the best Brad. commander, <laughs> best commander you've ever had. Uh-uh. Um, uh, we all feel that way and believe that. Oh. And, uh, and I have, you know, I was hit with in order to try to figure out how to finish this series. I knew that one of the biggest questions that we are not going to be addressing, Mm -hmm. but one of the biggest questions is, um, how do you deal with disappointment? Um, how do you deal with disappointment? How do you deal with disappointment in your life? How do you deal with disappointment when you feel like, um, maybe those in charge, whoever that is, could have done it differently or better or whatever. And that's such a big question that people are wrestling with right now. Um, and so we are not going to address that, but I, I knew. Does it get to the question? Okay. All right. I knew that the best person that I could possibly ask that question to help us sort through that would be Brad Brown. Well, you need the smartest person you could ask. The smartest person. I'm the most emotional person. He's the smartest person. <laughs> Um, the commander from that first, um, um, deployment. So is there a way that you could maybe set that conversation up? And that's going to be the last of this series, the last conversation of this series. Um, it's the best and probably the, um, wisest way to answer that Uh, question. So so let me introduce to Brad. Maybe you could just kind of set up Uh, Brad Brown and that interview. What? Why maybe that's a good idea or why? I don't know. I want to. Uh, so a couple of fun memories about Brad, which is we always call him Brad behind his back. Um, I know I called him Brad and I was like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. And he's like, why would you call me anything different? And I'm like, I just, uh, I, just I don't know what to do with my hands. Colonel Brown. <laughs> um, so we would regularly be in a command and staff whether it was here, whether it was home at Fort Carson or whether it was in Afghanistan. And at that point in time, I, I see it now, but I didn't see it then. But looking back, I can see, you know, you had all, here's all these captains and they're, you know, trying to prove that they're smart. Right. And they're just coming out of captain's career course. You know, they're on staff and they're all trying to prove that they're smart. Like, I know what I'm doing. I'm, I deserve to be on battalion staff or I'm deserve to be a company commander. Right. Or a troop commander. And, um, and so they would pontificate for a little bit and they would guess and they would use, you know, sometimes big words. And Brad would always do this thing. He'd have a dip in and he'd go, he'd lean back and he'd go, here's the thing. And as soon as, as soon as Brad went, here's the thing, you all knew, oh, we're about to be like, we're about to go to school. Right? <laughs> and then Brad would take your thinking from like here to here. And you're like, oh, oh, so that's what's going on. So I often remember him like um, elevating our thinking. Um, he, he was not, he was the, like, he was the epitome of mission command. And I don't know if it's something that he got from general Dempsey learned from, he was the epitome because, uh, so like Mark and I, Mark was the S1. We were having breakfast. We, we ate breakfast every morning. And, um, I remember like Mark and I were talking, we're like, you ever get the feeling like Brad just like, isn't interested in like in your job? Like he never comes up and is like, Hey, you know, tell me what's going on or whatever, you know, and you didn't, it was my first time being around a commander. So I was like, I don't know what, what, what a commander's like. Right. And so we were like, yeah, you know, we just kind of left, you know, just to do the job. So I went to him one time and I was like, Hey, is there anything you like need to know? And he was like, you doing the job? And I was like, yeah. 
yeah, it's going well. And he's like, you need anything from me? I'm like, no, not really. He's like, good, well, keep doing it. And I was like, okay. I mean, I would later learn on, like, there are other commanders that are like, I need to know what you're doing from, like, nine to five in 15-minute increments. You know, why haven't you put that in your outlook? And you're like, oh, dear God, get off my back. All right, I'm working. Where's, where's I'm working. Brad? Where's Brad? Um but so, he trusted. He trusted. He did. To do the he, job. Even in command and staff, he would walk in there and he'd be like, "Hey, here's the deal. You know, I've got a, you know, I've got a poker game uh, at eight o'clock. It's seven thirty. Brief by exception. Exception only brief. What you need me to do something about, right? And we all were like, "I got nothing. Like, I'm good. You know, it was that kind of atmosphere and that kind of attitude. But here's the thing: because he trusted you to do the job, you soared. Yeah. You absolutely soared. You went above and beyond. You didn't have to do report after report after report to prove and prove and prove and prove and prove that you're doing the job. And it was just amazing Mm -hmm. that you could spend all your time actually doing the job Mm -hmm. and doing it very well. And that you didn't feel like you had to like, you know, justify your existence. Mm -hmm. So that was an amazing thing. Um, the other thing I love about Brad is that he was he was never that lieutenant colonel that is out there like where you're like, oh, there's the commanders. He's over there doing something. Whatever. Way the over there. He's way over there doing whatever. You, all the time, he is joking with Joes. And you could tell he absolutely loved troopers. Absolutely loved them. Mm-hmm. And you could say he would get excited. He'd kind of get that little kind of crazy eyes kind of thing. <laughs> You know, when he's like telling jokes, you know, and you're like, he is really digging this. Like, he really absolutely loved, mm-hmm. you know, being a soldier and leading soldiers. And uh and and in and in that, he um he did everything to keep him safe. And I remember during the first deployment, um the staff we kind of talked about it because after after a couple of incidents, um, he was out there and he was, he was going out there and he was, um, he was taking on as much risk as everybody he was asking to take risk. Mm-hmm. And some of us were like, man, he is, he's out there, you know, not that he was doing anything, you know, uh, uncalculated or, you know, absurd. He wasn't out there like, out, that boy's out there. He was ain't out there trying to win medals. Mm-hmm. But you could tell it was part of his heart. Like, I'm never going to ask somebody to do something I wouldn't do. And I need people to know that. Mm-hmm. It wasn't that he was out there trying to, to show off or anything. He was out there because he genuinely wanted to be with them. And he knew, and we knew, they loved him so much that his presence was calming to them. Mm-hmm. You could always look over there and go, there's the commander right there. Mm-hmm. I got a really fun picture of him when we're doing Thanksgiving trips and we're up on OP Mace. And they're giving awards. And there's Brad, and he's got his he's got his M4 slung behind him. He's out there doing his thing and like telling a story, you know. And he's kind of doing that like yeah, you know, kind of thing. And uh and they're just kind of standing around and smiling because he was just that well loved. Um he's extremely approachable, um, and smart as a whip. And uh, you know, it was um you know, there are a couple of sacred moments that we had. And uh, I always hated it for him that um, 
anybody would ever try and claim that he didn't do absolutely everything to bring everybody home. Mm-hmm. Is there uh, a safe way that you could give some context um, that you're comfortable with? Oh, well, I mean, yeah, they, they, you can go back on the stars and stripes and, when the guy came out to do the 15-6 on Keating, they tried to pin it on him and, and Randy George. And those two men did absolutely everything they could. Everything they absolutely could, you know, short of like storming Bagram and demanding that we be withdrawn from locations that we could not resupply nor defend adequately. Mm-hmm. That we had soldiers that were in a tactical disadvantage. And I, you know, and I watched higher ups say literally, Tactically, it makes all the sense in the world, but politically, and then shrug. And um, that was hurtful. It was it was us. horribly hurtful. And then I remember the day that the article came out. Um, he came into the gym, and he's working out. He never comes in the gym. Mm-hmm. Like he did, he's a runner. He's in the gym, and I walked over because I talked to Mark at, at breakfast that morning, and uh, Mark and I were like, "This is bullshit." Mm-hmm. You know, I whisper that so people can hear me. I was like, this is, this is a crock to try and pin it on him. Mm-hmm. And um, I went over into him and, and I talked to the rest of the staff that day. And I went over and I, I, I wanted to encourage him to try and speak some, some life into him because he was bearing up underneath a weight that was not his to hold. It was not his to hold. Mm-hmm. And um, I said, sir, you know, I talked to the rest of the staff. And we all think that, that that article is a bunch of, and I said some choice words. And I said, you brought us into this valley and we trust you to be the one that's going to be able to lead us out of it. And we were literally in a valley. That's where we were. Um, I said, big army can pound saying you're our commander. Mm-hmm. And that is always, and I felt that with every, and still do with every fiber of my being. And that's not to say, you know, look what I said to him, but it literally was just to communicate. You were expressing what everybody else I was expressing express. what the rest of the staff was feeling. And um and, and wanting him to know that we had full and still do trust and confidence in him. Mm-hmm. And even when I still talk to people that are now lieutenant colonels commanding their own squadrons and battalions. When I still, when I talk to those people, some of them who retired, you know, have gone on across the board, hands down beyond a shadow of a doubt. He was the exact right person for the worst time in our lives. He was the only person that could have adequately led a very ragtag group of, you know, wayward cavalrymen and wannabe cavalrymen um, through uh, a debilitating situation that wasn't just one moment. I mean, we had 238 troops in contact in the first four months of that deployment. We were in contact on one of our seven locations every single day. It got to the point every time that I heard an Apache flying overhead, that was that was a medevac. It just got to the point. We had we had full aid stations. We had four mass cows. We did a blood call five times in those first few months. We literally had run out of blood, so we just had to call everybody on the fob and say, "Hey, come donate blood because we might need it. We don't know what's happening." I mean, I remember. Yeah, I mean, just one after another after another, and he shouldered all of that with grace, fortitude, 
diligence, intelligence, and um, humility. Absolute humility. So, I've in, I've invited Brad to to come and share his story as as we close out the series. Um, and he's never publicly, um, other than to Jake Tapper for the book um, that Jake Tapper wrote, but um, never really, as far as I know, shared his story. Um, and I've, I'm asking him because he he his career ultimately. Um, ended because of um, the responsibility that was placed on him because of Keating mm-hmm. and um, unfairly unfairly um, and and we all that knew him and served with him watched that and um, and that was very hard to watch um, to watch someone who was so amazing at what he did mm-hmm. and how he took care of people um, t- for him to lose a career over that when that's the kind of person that you want to have stay in and and have that be unfair. Mm-hmm. And so I think that my thought was, if anybody can speak to the unfairness of things sometimes, mm-hmm. um, just the unfairness or what feels unfair or who, who, you know, the struggle and the questions of who takes responsibility and what does that mean? And I mean, and we're not going to be talking about opinions about Afghanistan. We're not going to be talking or claiming things about politics and and blame and, and all of that. But what I hope everybody's going to hear is is Brad just share his story. Yeah. Share his story of what it was like to um have his career taken, to lose that career, to go through the disappointment mm-hmm. of it happening that way. How did he cope with that? Why he didn't say think something sooner. I'm gonna talk to him about that. Um what was kind of what he was feeling that would kind of help him try to figure out what should I say? When should I say it? If I should say anything at all. Um, but I think that my hope is that it's going to, for anyone out there that has any layer of this question, this set of questions, I think Brad's story is going to land for anybody anywhere Uh based off of what you're questioning and what you're trying to process. And so, Uh Could not be more excited mm-hmm. um, and honored to to talk with Brad. Mm-hmm. Um, Better put your thinking cap on. I know. I'm so big, nervous. <laughs> big phrase on the staff was, look at the big brain on Brad. Oh, man. If you all see me squirm, you're going to know why. Yeah. Um, no, but um, I'm honored. So that will be how we close out the series. Mm-hmm. Hun, thank you for your time you're and welcome. for um, processing that with me and talking to me. Cool. Um, I love you. And thank you for... Um, letting me join you to serve families. Thank you for joining me to serve families. Um, I I love doing this together with you. Cool. Can I have the parting words? Yes. So, Hey, um, in all seriousness, if you're out there and you're having a hard time with what you've done, what you've seen or what you've been asked to do in the midst of, uh, recent events, um, you're worth the, the care you deserve it, you're worth it. Um, reach out and have conversations with people you trust, people who know that you don't have to try and make some big ex- explanation to. Um, take care of yourself. Don't self medicate. Uh, take the time to be patient with yourself over this process. Um, how you feel is how you feel, and no one can tell you that it's right or wrong. It's just going to take time to process through it and to move through it. 
Um, I can honestly say that the best thing that you can go do is to serve someone else, though. Mm -hmm. Go find somebody. Find somebody and continue to pour into their life. And that that will take the difficult things that we've had to do or see or be a part of and can give it a deeper meaning because you're out there reshaping narratives and you're out there changing the world. Um, at some point in time, if you've been a service member, you were relied on to change the world and you still have that, um, that ability, that know-how. Um, and so don't stop that. Okay. So go take care of yourself. And, uh, in the midst of that, go take care of others. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these episodes, please share the podcast with other service couples that may benefit from the show. If you'd like more information about me or Life Giver, head on over to coreyweathers.com or life-giver.org.